Welcome to the Philip Jordan Football Podcast. Philip Jordan and his football friends discuss the latest headlines on the field and off. Whether it's during the season in the fall, countdown to signing day, or on the road to the draft, Philip has you covered. Now, let's kick it off with your host, Philip Jordan. What's up, y'all? Welcome into the Philip Jordan Football Podcast, talking all things college football and professional football all year long, all football, all the time. This podcast is for people obsessed with football. We'll just say that. I am your host, Philip Jordan, from Last Word on College Football, where I mainly cover Auburn Tigers, but do some SEC work as well. And I am the in-studio host and producer for Dothan Woods Football on 96.9, the legend down in Dothan, Alabama. You can follow me on social media at PJordanSEC. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many others. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. If you leave a review, I will read it on a future edition of the show. Also, you can find the show on YouTube, and occasionally you will see a video form of my interviews, me and my guests talking to each other. But other times I'll just put an audio form up on YouTube as well. Either way, please subscribe to the Philip Jordan Sports YouTube channel. Also, like the videos and leave a comment. Just like with Apple Podcast Reviews, if you leave a comment on YouTube, I will read it on a future edition of the show. And you can always email me at sportstalkphilipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody joining me on the podcast today uh, is Peter Ball, who covers the Missouri Tigers for the Athletic. This is Missouri Week here on the podcast, continuing countdown to be hopefully what we will have a college football season. But uh, Peter, I do appreciate you taking the time coming on the show this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, it's you know when I messaged you last week, I said we'll talk schedule and offense and defense. <laughs> I will admit to this, I will scrap the schedule segment because uh, we don't know what's going to be going on with that. I guess uh, what I want to leave with you asking you though, uh, what's being said in Missouri from the university, or what you've seen, what you've heard about uh, the upcoming college football season? What are they saying? So the athletic director Jim Sterk has been pretty non-committal on a lot of things where he he hasn't really talked about what their level of optimism or anything like that. He's more just kind of reiterated that Missouri is planning for a number of different scenarios and he hasn't really gone into what what those are exactly, but he's he's just kind of said that they're planning for a lot of different a lot of different contingency plans, a lot of different things that could happen. Um, so they haven't it's he hasn't necessarily given a great read on how he's feeling he's projected some optimism but honestly it's it's kind of hard at least from an outsider perspective like it doesn't necessarily feel like a particularly optimistic time for college football um and like it 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 definitely seems like there's doubt around this season happening this fall yeah let me tell you uh with me for all ever since march i was saying college football's here so my optimism has always been up to here yeah. I will admit, with what happened last week with, not the Ivy League, but with the Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC, and I know they haven't officially announced anything, that knocked my optimism down a little bit. Then I was like, okay, they're kind of like one step away from just saying there's not going to be a season. Uh, where are you on on that? Yeah, I'm. it definitely feels like there are dominoes kind of falling. Um, and where... They're going to conference-only schedules. Um, these league cases are just rising around the country, um, especially in the southeast. And it really – it doesn't 
to me, it doesn't feel likely. And that's not like reported from anything like that I've heard from SEC executives or anything, but just looking at the trends of what has happened in the past few weeks with um, the Ivy League moving the season to the spring or like, I guess, canceling the fall season with the wording. Um, and then you have these conferences that are moving to conference only schedules, all while cases continue to rise without really uh, an apparent end to, to that. Um, none of that. Lead. And then you had Greg Sankey's statement yesterday uh, or yesterday or the day before where he um, kind of really stressed that this is not a guarantee at this point. And that kind mm-hmm. of um, I, I took that to be like I, I that I trusted that statement as being earnest of there's not he does not like necessarily feel certain that there's a college football season coming in the fall. And if the head of the SEC doesn't feel that way, then like. That's a little dicey and it's, it's going to be really fascinating, but I think there's, I am my, I am not particularly confident that there will be a college football season this fall. Um, but that's just my perspective on. Yeah. On the, yeah. yeah. Cause it's been the running jokes and this whole this, you know, which, you know, in a serious time, a running joke was that if there's one conference that will play in the fall, it will be the Southeastern conference. Yeah, yeah. And I know, a lot of what the Big Ten and Pac-12, they were saying, look, travel is one of the reasons for this. And you can control it. You can govern it better with the yes. under your just your conference. I mean, because if you're, like, say, for an SEC team, if you're playing, I don't know, like LSU plays Texas, you can't tell Texas how they have to do things, but you can control your own conference. The exactly. travel thing, though, is where I have a question, and especially from a Missouri standpoint, I equate this to West Virginia and the Big 12. For Missouri, they play in the SEC East, I am the first belief they should be in the West, put Auburn in the East, and then everything is settled. If tr- if you're saying travel's a reason, that, that kind of pokes a hole in the logic, in my opinion, because Missouri is going to have to travel a long ways to play their SEC East road opponents in that scenario. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think when it comes to scheduling, if the SEC goes to a conference-only schedule – I think it's like that we could see, uh, we just don't, we don't know what they would do if it would be, maybe they just completely restructure the schedule where Missouri plays Arkansas, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. And like you play those five teams twice and that's your 10 game season. Like that's, I'm not saying that is not like the report, but it's like, I'm just saying we don't know what they are, what they're thinking it's going to be. And if that Mizzou, if a season happens, if they would even play, like the SEC East teams they normally would, or if they would try to shorten the travel distance um, or what. And I think what you said is definitely a, a good point about, because um, Jim Sturt, Mizzou's AD, talked about like how if you have a conference-only schedule, you can kind of regulate what every, like every team, you can set testing protocols. There's only, I believe there are 11 states represented in the SEC, 14 yeah. teams, 11 states. And like, so those states all have like guidelines and um, like, or it's fewer states to deal with. Whereas if each school has a few non-conference opponents, then that's a bunch more different states. And now it's, yeah, you can just make it a lot more uniform if it's all, if it's all conference games, but travel will be interesting. I don't, I don't have a great read on it. Um, I, I certainly think that they're going to be discussing a lot of contingency plans and they're meeting um, in uh, their meeting. I think Birmingham, but I know the SEC ADs are meeting, when this podcast comes out, it'll be today. Uh, we're filming, recording it Sunday, but so tomorrow for us. Um, and I think like that's probably going to be planning, just planning a lot of like, just discussing a lot of ideas. 
And on my looking podcast world for some reason something will come out on Sunday before the podcast comes out. Then, you know, that, that's how it kind of goes. Uh, maybe maybe the SEC help me out a little bit, and not do that. But uh, anyways, I'll joke aside. Well, and you know, we we'll just do talk about this Missouri football team. Just you know, if we do have a season and what this team obviously went six and six last year, didn't go to a bowl game. But and this is a question I ask everybody in these previews because you know Missouri, I think had like three practices. Some teams had none. Uh, before everything got shut down for you, what is the position group on this team that was probably impacted the most by not having that spring practice? I think it's just the offense in general. I don't know about one specific position group, but the fact is, is they have a new first year head coach and Eli Drinkwitz, former Auburn guy, actually is a former quality control coach um, under Gene Chizik. Uh, but he there, but so he's inst- installing a new offense that gets halted completely by by the virus. So he had three practices of installing brand new plays, a brand new system. Whereas Mizzou's defense has continuity with the d- defensive coordinator being retained in Ryan Walters, and so a lot of a lot of I guess returning players, returning schemes. Um, that's going to be less of an adjustment. But if you when you're learning a new offense, if you only have three in person practices, that's pretty tricky. So I think I would say that just the offense in general. I don't know. I know that's kind of broad, but I think that's the position group that that is most affected. Uh, when you look, of course, Missouri will be breaking in a quarterback this upcoming season. They got uh, those like you know four several guys out there. Of course, you got TCU transfer Sean Robinson to Taylor Powell out there. I mean, overall, when you look at these quarterbacks, who, who's the guy? Is it Robinson? Maybe would be the lead guy, which is you know obviously he's different than the other three guys that would be in the competition. What are your thoughts on their quarterback? Uh, whoever might beat quarterback if we have a season. Yeah, I think Robinson is the front runner. He was taking first team reps in the limited spring practice that we saw. Um, and he, he has experience. I think it'll be really interesting to see what improvements he made because he played the 2018 season for TCU, started the first seven games, got hurt, was battling lingering injuries, was never fully 100% after like the second or third game. Um, so he kind of, this past year when he was redshirting as a transfer, had this time just to kind of, I guess, um, re rejuvenate himself both mentally and physically. Um, so I'm really curious to see the progressions he took, if there have been progressions or if he's the same quarterback that he was at TCU in 2018. Um, so I think that's, that's fascinating, but I would give the edge to him. I think another name to watch is Connor Bazelak, who is a true freshman last year. And he, he started the last game of the season actually against Arkansas because Kelly Bryant was hurt. And he, he looked pretty good, pretty poised in the pocket, made a lot of good throws. And I think it'll be – but he tore his ACL that game. So that so that kind of has thrown a wrinkle on things. But now he should be ready if we get uh, a fall camp. He should be ready for that. And, like, we'll see if he's ready to, to I guess, make the leap to being an SEC-level starter. Uh, and then Taylor Powell's been a backup the past two years for Kelly Bryant and Drew Locke. He's had one start, um, struggled in his start against Georgia last year when Kelly was hurt. Um, but he he did look pretty good against Arkansas in the last game of the year when he filled in for Basilek after he tore his ACL. So I think it's going to be one of those three. Um, my gut says Robinson uh, to start, but I think that I think it's it's very possible that Mizzou, if there's the season, does not start the same quarterback every game. You know, when I was looking over their incoming 
receivers. I mean, not a lot of uh, experience there either. I mean, I think their leading returning receiver is Batty at running back, the other yeah. under Roundtree. So that when you look at that, I mean, good for him. It shows he's a versatile running back. But when you look at overall teams, well, that might not be a good sign that you're or back uh, another running back was his leading receiver. Uh, but they do bring in Virginia Tech transfer yes. thanks Hazelton, who had some he had some solid numbers coming out of Virginia Tech. Outside of him, what are you seeing with the receivers uh, that, that they would need to step up for those quarterbacks to be successful? Yeah, I think you you I was glad you brought up Damon Hazelton. I think he I mean he was an all ACC player twice at Virginia Tech. So he's someone who maybe he can't be the the number one receiver on a top level SEC team, but like it I think he's capable of being the top receiver on a solid college football team. So like a Mizzou, for example, could he could walk in and be a quality number one option at receiver. And I think if you have him as the quality number one option, then that opens everything up for for your other receivers. So you've got Jalen Knox is a guy who last year as a sophomore really kind of disappeared, but he had a good freshman year when he wasn't expected to be one of the, I guess he wasn't expected to be the top guy last year, but there was certainly more pressure on him. And he, he wasn't really able to, to find a groove. And now if Hazleton maybe takes some attention away from him, maybe he can take a step forward. Um, they actually brought in a Division two transfer named, um, I think Kiki Chisholm is his name. And he... Awesome name. Yeah, so it's kind of like a... That's kind of a wild card. We don't really know. I mean, he's only there for one year. Um, he certainly has the the build, and the staff certainly thought he was worth a, worth a shot. Um, and and I'm, cur- I'm really curious to see how he does, if he's a player or if he's more just a guy that they thought, eh, we'll give him a shot since it's only one year. It doesn't really hurt us scholarship-wise. Um, yeah, and then they have a, a few freshmen coming in. They brought they're bringing in four freshman receivers, um, so I think they would love if one of them turned out to be a quality option at receiver. Um, I think, yeah, I think they've got, and then they've got some guys who redshirted last year that have potential. CJ Boone, Maurice Massey come to mind, and they they were people with potential, but that just didn't play a ton. So it'll be it'll be curious. I'm curious to see how, how it comes comes together for them. Of course, we talk about the quarterback and receivers. It's got to be a good luxury for this team to have a guy like Larry Roundtree coming back, which only needs 451 yards to become second all-time uh, Missouri rushing. So having him in the backfield, look, if you're learning, if you're quarterbacks and your receivers, you're learning a new offense, it's got to be a great luxury to have that guy in the backfield. You can lean on if there are moments where the offense is struggling. You, you have a guy like that you can trust. Definitely. Larry Roundtree's a really good player. He, I think – he probably was disappointed with his season last year, but even if you look at his numbers, they were still solid. He had, I think, 800, he was 850 yards, somewhere in that range. Um, the year before that, though, as a sophomore, he was, I think he had 1,200 rushing yards in 13 games, which is is really, really solid. So he's he can play football. He's a good player, good physical running back, good leader. He was a captain last year as a junior. Um, I think he's someone that is a really important part of this team. And I think if the offensive line can make some improvements from last year when they really struggled, I think I think Larry could have a really nice year um, if if he's got it. All of it is prefaced of if he has a chance to play. Yeah, that's true. I was looking at his numbers right here. Uh, 5.1 career average, uh, 26 touchdowns, uh, 2,748 yards. Uh, do you think there's a chance he might could uh, surpass if we have a season? That's the thing. Now, if we didn't have if we had a full season, he might have a shot at number one, wouldn't he? Yeah, but I it would have he would have had it to have a shot at number one. He would have to have a pretty insane year. I want to say it's like he would need like 1,500 yards. I'm not 100 percent sure, but like 
he would have to have a monster year. It wouldn't be impossible, but it would be like very impressive. I think like if there's a, I guess, reasonable season level of season, either in the fall or the spring, I think he's definitely got a good shot to move into number two. I think number one will be tricky, but you know, stranger things have happened. He's a good player. And if, if he has offensive line support in front of him, I, I, I would certainly be surprised if he's able to rack up that many rushing yards, but I wouldn't be shocked. Like I think he's in line to have over a thousand yards this season would be my guess. Um, I know he, he kind of his he didn't have as many yards as a junior as he did as a sophomore, but I think he's probably going to bounce back. Um, but it's just a question of how many games will he get? Will he stay healthy? Um, yeah. I, I, I'm curious. You know, flip over on the defensive side of the ball. This team, they rank third in the SEC, 14th nationally. Yeah. And uh, they bring back a uh, part of the staff from Barry Odom and Ryan Walters. Uh, how important do you think just for continuity what that was to bring back him as defense coordinator? I think it was, it was really important. And I think he's a really, he's someone, if you look at like up and coming coaches in the SEC, I think he's someone that, that comes to mind as like a guy who could potentially be, I mean, he's not probably going to hop to a power five job right away, but he's someone who could be a head coach at some point at a power five level program. He's probably going to have to go to a group of five school first, but he's, he's young. He really gets defenses. He really turned Missouri's defense into a really solid force last year. And that was all after, I mean, Mizzou's best player was hurt for half the season. Um, Kale Garrett, who played five games, was awesome for those five games. And then tore his pectoral tendon and was out. And the defense still managed to have really a really good year. The secondary really played, played much better than they had the few years before. And they've got a good safety tandem coming back with Tyree Gillespie and Josh Bledsoe. And then, one of the best linebackers in the SEC and Nick Bolton coming back who led the led the conference in regular season tackles last year. Yeah, I was looking at his numbers. He really filled in that role when he – He's a good player. Yeah, coming in like that. And we look at corners because last year I believe they were the best in the country at holding opponents to 50% passing uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to the quarterbacks. Uh, the cornerback position, you mentioned the safeties, but they're going to have to uh, fill some holes there at a quarterback. Yes, that that's very much the case. So DeMarcus AC. Uh, that of eligibility, he is now with the 49ers. Um, and then Christian Holmes, graduate transferred to Oklahoma State. So they're really going to have to, I guess, kind of fill in one starter role. AC was the number one corner. Um, so you figure Jarvis Ware, who was the second starter last year, probably shifts over to the number one cornerback role. And then you've got to find someone to fill in that second spot. And there are a number of younger guys um, or seniors who who maybe haven't played as much but have some experience that – that could fill in, but it's just, it'll be really interesting to see if Jarvis Ware is ready to go from being a number two um, cornerback on an SEC team in which, and that was a role he had some success in. He was solid, like, but he also struggled against teams like Georgia. George Pickens had a field day with him against, against Georgia. And I think it'll be interesting to see if he's ready to take the leap to being a like actual number one cornerback on an SEC team against SEC receivers. Um, And then you've got to find someone to hold down the fort as like your number two your number two quarterback. And, you know, last one on the defense, you look at the defense line, three or four starters mm-hmm. coming back. You got Kobe Whiteside right there in the middle, six and a half sacks. Uh, it seems like Missouri, I remember uh, it was a 13-14 when they made those runs to the SEC championship games. They were really good to get to the quarterback. Really? That has really fallen off the last couple of years. Uh, what do you see with them with that defensive front and how they can get pressure on the quarterback? 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing, so those 2013-2014 teams, the defensive ends were unreal. I mean, you had Michael Sam win SEC Defensive Player of the Year in 2013. Then you had Shane Ray win SEC Defensive Player of the Year the next year. You had multiple NFL guys just on the defensive line at defensive end. I think now what you're seeing is Missouri hasn't really had a standout defensive end since they haven't had a defensive end get drafted since Charles Harris in 2016 or 2017 drafted the 2016 season was the last season he played. So they've like, yeah, it's been, they have not gotten nearly enough pressure on the quarterback, especially from the edge. The The defensive tackles have actually been really solid with, um, you mentioned Kobe Whiteside had over six sacks last year. And then Jordan Elliott got picked in the third round by the Browns this year. He was a really good player. I'm actually curious to see if Kobe Whiteside's able to have the same success this year without Jordan Elliott kind of blowing things up in the middle that sometimes he would draw double teams, which would help Kobe uh, get free and tackle the quarterback. Um yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued about um, the defensive line. The defensive ends, if they they need to have – I mean, neither Trey Williams nor Chris Turner um, had – I think I think one had two sacks and the other – or they might have both had two sacks. One might have had 2.5, but not nearly enough pressure on the quarterback from the defensive end. And if you, if you don't have pressure from your edge rushers, then that gives – opposing quarterbacks more time to sit in the pocket receivers more time to get open you open yourself up for some big plays so that that is definitely something that Mizzou needs to address this year and they need to I guess find a way to get pressure from the outside and they'd really benefit from Kobe Whiteside being able to maintain the success he had last year yeah you know when you think about that when you have a team that maybe does not get to the quarterback as much as you want and the fact is they were still third in the SEC in total defense 14th nationally just what they were able to do defensively despite that that is an amazing job they probably would have been number one if that that category just went up a little bit so that was just an amazing job of this defense overall last year when you really think about that yeah they were they were a really pretty solid unit um there were a few rough rough patches but they they played it was it was a really solid defense, and Ryan Walters deserves a lot of credit for that, the defense coordinator. So this is the point of the preview where I would go to the schedule. <laughs> yeah. I would ask the guest what would be reasonable expectations record-wise, but because we do not know with everything going on, what if the SEC is going full 12, what they're going to do. So instead, i just like to say, ask this this way. When you look at Missouri, you line them up against the rest of the SEC East, where do you see this team if we have a season falling in the East? Yeah, so I think you've got obviously a top tier of Georgia. I, I still think Georgia's ahead of Florida. But so you've got Georgia and Florida in one tier. And then you've got, I would say, Vanderbilt kind of in the bottom. And then you've got, Great. yeah, and then you've got Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, um, and who am I for? Oh, and South Carolina. And I think Missouri has a shot to finish anywhere from. I think third's probably a bit ambitious, but I think realistically, like I wouldn't be floored if you said Mizzou finished third in the SEC. Um, I think three, third through sixth is anywhere, anywhere within there is within reason. I would guess they'd probably be fourth or fifth would be my, so kind of like middle tier SEC East team. When it looked like we were going to have a full season, I think I was kind of predicting them to be around six and six, make a bowl game, um, win a few SEC games. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think kind of just middle of the pack, but ideally for Missouri's future is like that lays a groundwork with the new staff and you're able to kind of go from there um, after like starting starting. I mean, I think a bowl game with a first year coach is fine for Mizzou, especially yeah. considering like what they're coming off of. And then if you can build off that, that's that's promising. <laughs> 
Well, let me say this, and it feels like I do not plan this, but it seems like every week I take a dig at the University of Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to the SEC East, I'm not buying the Tennessee hype yet because we saw this with Rich Jones. We, Derek Dooley had hype. I mean, this is, yeah. I'm not – Tennessee is going to have to prove me on the field that they are ready to take that third spot. So, I mean, Missouri, it, uh, that's just my opinion on the East. I yeah. Guess. They do have some players, though. They've got – I feel like they've, they're recruiting better than they were in the past, and I think Pruitt – Pruitt seems to have, have something going there. Um, I don't know, It's but it's you're right. Every time you kind of think Tennessee's, like, maybe got it figured out, then they, they kind of fall on their faces. Um, but I this does feel – I do feel like Pruitt kind of has something. Yeah, it's uh, it's just me. I, I I'm going to keep doing this if this show ever really takes it big time. I'm not going to be welcome in Knoxville. I just no, probably not. <laughs> of all Twitter, man, you got all it. Wild place. Yeah, there you are, crazy. But uh, anyways, uh, Peter, I do appreciate you coming on uh, today's show to talk about the Missouri Tigers. Been a lot of fun. And if the uh, listeners and the viewers uh, want to follow you online, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, my Twitter is at Peter underscore Baugh, B-A-U-G-H, uh, is my how you spell my last name. Um, and then theathletic.com, which covers all sorts of college football teams. Um, and, yeah. All right, Peter, sounds good. And, uh, once again, I appreciate you taking the time out. Hopefully we'll have a season. And I look forward to maybe talking to you again sometime down the road. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of the Philip Jordan Football Podcast. Thanks again for taking your time out making this show part of your day. I really do appreciate you guys doing that. It really means a lot for you taking the time. Remember, you can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, just to name a few. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. If you leave me a review, I will read it on a future edition of the show. And you can also find the show on YouTube. Please subscribe, like the videos, and leave a comment there. Just like the reviews, if you leave a YouTube comment, I will read it on a future edition of the podcast. Remember, you can always email me at sportstalkfieldjordan at gmail.com. Till next time, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for checking out today's Philip Jordan football podcast. Find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Contact Philip on social media at PJordanSEC or email at sportstalkphilipjordan at gmail.com.